first of the year is particularly important to me and that I always like to seek the Lord for the direction he would have us go in the new year. Israel prospered as long as they followed God. He led them by a pillar of fire by night, a cloud by day, and as long as they honored him and went where he led them, they were supernaturally blessed and provided for in what is absolutely the worst and most hospitable environment that that is, exists on the face of this planet. And when you follow God, you might go through some rough places. And what's amazing is, and to the consternation of the world, while they're all struggling, those circumstances do not affect you the same way. The world can be in crisis, and you still smiling, and God blessing you and doing supernatural things in your life, I would say again, at the beginning of this year, never be afraid to follow God. You'll always be blessed if you do what he has asked you to do. Amen. Hosea 12 and 13, by a prophet, the Lord brought Israel out of Egypt, and by a prophet, he was preserved. It was important they follow the word of the Lord. And that weightiness, that obligation is always heavy on me every Sunday, but particularly in the new year when I seek the direction. And for this church in the year that is about to be unfolded. And, and actually, to be very honest with you, I felt like the Lord began to speak with me last January about this year. And people say, man, are you sure you're following God? God speaks that far in advance. Oh, trust me. He spoke about Calvary thousands of years before it ever came. He was the Lamb of God slain from the foundation, you remember, of the world. God plans. We might not often plan, but God sure does. And, and the word that has been my, in my spirit is not breakthrough, it's break out. And there is a dimension where you not only have breakthrough, you break out. Or if I can say it like this, a lot of us uh, know what blessings are. All of us in this room are blessed. We might not recognize it, but if you don't think you're blessed, hop a plane with me sometime and travel with me to some of the places I go to and see other believers, and I can promise you, you will come back having changed your mind about your situation. You are blessed. I just pray God will give us the ability to recognize how blessed we are. But then beyond that, Beyond breakthrough, there is a place of breakout, and that is to be extraordinarily blessed, and that's what I feel the Holy Spirit is speaking to us this year, living the extraordinarily blessed life. I read in Psalms 1, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. I'm talking about not being blessed and then going back to life as normal. I'm talking about a new normative state of existence where you're planted and anchored in the middle of God's favor and blessing. Amen. And you will bring forth your fruit in season, your leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever this person does shall, not, shall always prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind drives away. And then this familiar passage of Scripture that you'll immediately recognize, Israel has just returned from Babylon, 
and they laid the foundation of the new temple, Zerubbabel, as their governor was helping them to construct the new temple, and then suddenly they encountered opposition and everything came to a standstill. And they thought that they might have been out of the right time, uh, the right frame of reference regarding time, or maybe God's favor wasn't there. And the Lord spoke in Zechariah 10 and 4 and said, Do not despise these small beginnings. For the Lord rejoices to see the work begin, to see the plumb line in Zerubbabel's hand. The seven lamps represent the eyes of the Lord that search all around the world. Father, speak to us today. We need to hear a word from you and profoundly impact our lives as your word is able to do. By transcending and going beyond our own limited understanding and intelligence into that dimension where you are omniscient and know all things and reveal your hidden wisdom to us and give us direction for our lives, our families, our ministries, our businesses, this church in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Amen. Living the extraordinarily blessed life. Things can have huge and far-reaching consequences and people not be aware of it. They don't think through. Sometimes the importance or the implications of what is happening at that moment. If you'll forgive a personal reference, you know I like Cajun humor because as the fellow said, I are one. And Boudreaux and his wife informed Boudreaux's best friend, Thibodeau, that he and Marie, his wife, were considering having a fourth child. And Thibodeau immediately became alarmed and said, Now, Bood, I know, uh, I, I don't know if y'all should do that right now. He said, That might not be such a good idea. And Boudreaux was a little put out that his best friend would feel that way and asked Tib, What makes you say something like that, Shaq? And Thibodeau answered, There are three good reasons. I think it might be a mistake, my friend, for y'all to have that fourth child. Three good reasons. Boudreaux said, what are they? He said, first, you and Marie already have three children, and you know what a handful they can be. Number two, you know with this economy, and you done been laid off at the sugar mill, good jobs, jobs are hard to find. How are you going to provide for that new baby? And three, there is the language problem. And Boudreaux looked puzzled and said, the language problem? What in the world are you talking about, Tib? And Thibodeau answered and said, you already got three fine children. I read the other day that every fourth child that is born is Chinese. And how are you, Marie, ever going to talk to that baby when neither one of you know not one word of Chinese? <laughs> Thibodeau might have been wrong in his conclusions about where that decision to have a child might go. But I can tell you we often are mistaken and overlook the significance of the moments that are at hand. Things that are scarcely worthy of note at that moment can in turn shake the foundations of civilization and alter the very course of history. And yet people not be aware of what is happening. W. Clement Stone once observed that big doors, big doors swing open on small hinges. The first Christmas, for example, that we just celebrated was certainly that way. Uh, today, everyone knows what happened on Christmas, but back then, mm -mm, not so much. That first Christmas morning, the God of glory entered the back door of his own creation. And do you know 
that nobody but three wise men in distant Babylon and a few local shepherds in Judea even noticed it? The wise men were so moved by what they saw in distant Babylon that they traveled for months by caravan on camels to come from afar across harsh desert sands, risking their lives in dangerous territories, wandering armed bands of marauding bandits, and came to worship this newborn Christ and discovered upon arriving in Israel that nobody even knew what had just happened in their own backyard. They found his birth had gone by completely unobserved. The only ones that were aware of it, they learned shortly, were a few shepherds. Amen. Certainly, the innkeeper didn't know what was happening. How would you like to be the guy that went down in history who told the Christ mother, Mary, we don't have any room for you here here tonight. Had he known what was going on, he would have given up his own room and comfortable bed rather than be recorded in time and eternity as the one that said you can sleep in the stable if you want to. Amen. Not even King Herod was aware of what had happened in his kingdom and coming from Babylon where their king was informed about all the important matters that might affect the the welfare of his vast empire. These three wise men were astonished that when they came to King Herod, thinking at least he would know where to direct us, that to their consternation, he didn't even know what had happened, much less where to send them. He had to call for the priest to come and give him insight into what the scriptures taught about where Christ would be born. Amen. It's amazing that Jesus had come, the God of glory, who created the world we live in, and no one other than three wise men and a few local shepherds even were aware of what was presently happening that would be the greatest single event to ever impact the history of mankind. Big doors, little bitty hinges. Amen. History tells of another little-noticed event that also had profound implications for the future. December 17, 1903, the Wright brothers successfully completed the first manned-powered flight, something that would profoundly change the world we live in in every possible way. The brothers themselves, however, could not have guessed at the far-reaching significance of their invention. No one else did either. They excitedly wired their sister Catherine to tell her they had successfully flown for 57 seconds. Turned out to be a typo. It was actually 59 seconds. And they would be home for Christmas. Catherine took the telegraph to the editor of the local newspaper who knew them personally. And he read it and said, oh, the boys will be home for Christmas. That's nice. Never even made a comment about the fact that they had flown history's first manned and powered flight. The governments of the world failed to recognize its significance, as did everyone else. Do you know what? That little invention that was launched that December morning has created an industry where nearly 40 million flights occur each year, over 103,000 daily of which 87,000 occur in the United States of America alone, and it generates over $720 billion in revenue each year. That's big doors. 
on little hinges. Another event, March 1876, a teacher for the deaf, Alexander Graham Bell, discovered that electrical currents could be made to exactly replicate sound waves, and he invented the world's first telephone. It replaced the telegraph machine that had been invented by Samuel Morris, who with, with one rather that enabled two people to not only be in distant places from one another, but actually hear the voice of the person they were speaking to. And as with the airplane, this new invention did not catch on right away. Those who should have could not see its huge potential either. The big communications giant at that time was Western Union. They had all the telegraph machines and had set up the telegraph wires all over the nation and so forth. And, and Mr. Bale, who didn't even recognize how far-reaching his device would someday impact humanity, went to them and offered to sell it to them for $100,000. Can you imagine? And they turned him down. <laughs> Seriously. In the meanwhile, who's Western Union today? Oh, that's the folk you go to to wire, you know, your cousin Jeff a little money to help pay for his Aunt Sally's gallbladder surgery, right? Or to pay your bills. That's who Western Union has become. On the other hand, the telecommunications industry has become a $5.7 billion business annually. And just about three years ago, when our country was going through economic crises and budgetary concerns, and we ran out of money, it was in all the news that, that one of the great-great-grandsons, as it were, of that little telephone that Alexander Graham Bale invented, one called the apple. Do y'all know what that is? I'm not talking about something that grows on a tree either. The Apple mobile phone. It was revealed that largely due to that invention, Apple Corporation had more cash reserves on hand than did the United States federal government. And Western Union could have bought all of that for $100,000. Really? Big doors on little bitty hinges. And here we are today on the first weekend of the new year, and it's just one little Sunday. A single day out of the 366 at 2016 being a leap year will bring us. And I cannot help but wonder what great big doors are swinging open right now on little hinges all over this building. For you, your business, your family, this church, your ministry, and even the kingdom of God. We've already talked about New Year's means a number of things, and it means new beginnings as we've, we've talked about. And certainly it was a new beginning for Israel when they came back fresh from Babylon and started laying that foundation. And what's amazing about this is that when God speaks and says, don't despise the day of small things, that, that at that point they had become somewhat disillusioned and discouraged because you see, you may not realize it, but even God's projects can stall. It was God's plan they returned, and God's plan that they rebuild the temple and so forth five centuries before Jesus was born. They have come now to do that. And then, as we often do, even with our own resolutions, 
as we often encounter, so they did too, opposition and resistance and neighbors fought the project tooth and nail and finally succeeded in even getting a restraining order to halt construction. And you will find that in Ezra chapter 4. Enemies mocked them. Supporters became discouraged, and for several years, the site actually stood silent. And then God stood up and said through the prophet Zechariah, words that electrified the spirit of Zerubbabel. He said, do not despise these small beginnings. For the Lord rejoices to see the work begin, to see the plumb line in Zerubbabel's hand. And once again, they were gone. Out of the gate, a new beginning a new start, finding true north again, and that's exactly where many of us are at. How many of us have received a word from God? I mean, it even sounds like our own building program that we launched here a few years ago, and then you remember the economy went, well, suddenly right straight into the cellar, and we just felt the Lord say, hold up right there. Some churches bulldoggedly pressed their way through that went ahead and built and debted themselves, and churches all over our city were even foreclosed on. One of the larger churches in our city was foreclosed on south of town. The bank took the building back. I happen to know the pastor. He's a friend of mine who bought that building, Bishop Usher, and is now trying to launch again, starting to work there south of town. Great guy. But, I mean, people went through some things. And I I say again, it's important that we follow God. And now... We sense the Lord one more time saying, don't despise the day of small beginnings. Something's about to happen. Amen. Something's about to take place. One of the most beneficial things that you can do, rather, and I have done this for many years, my own life, ministry, business, um, church, family, is do what is called a SWOT analysis. Are you familiar with those? Some of you are, some of you might not be, but a SWOT analysis simply stands for strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. And as I prayed and asked the Lord, what should I talk about this first Sunday morning? I really felt like the Lord wanted me to do that for this congregation, though I have done that privately as senior pastor here for many years, that we can project into the future and make our plans and hopefully act wisely and take advantage of what God is saying to us. God just simply said it's time the church takes a look at this too. So let's look, number one, at our strengths, okay? And we do have some amazing strengths at Christian Tabernacle, for which I am grateful to the Lord. Number one, we have a scandal-free history and an honored name. I think somebody in this building ought to say, thank God that in this day of scandals, we have a scandal-free name. Now, that might not mean a whole lot to you, but from the Catholic Church to the Protestant world and all in between, there have been ministries discredited. But do you know that in this church's history that began in the early 1950s, we've never had a scandal? Church began as a prayer meeting in Bernie's home, uh, Bean's home right here in this community. In the early 50s, she became the first pastor. Her son became pastor as she aged. And then... After he was tragically killed in an unexpected accident, Charles and Bonnie Free followed and served for 12 years. Jerry and I are only the fourth senior pastors this congregation has ever known. We've been here 28 years. We came in 1988 and have had the time of our lives, amen, being here. I mean it. I love what I do. 
This church is respected in this community, and I give God the praise for it. We are poised to really experience not breakthrough, but break out. Secondly, we have an incredible staff who have served so well and with distinction and dedication. They have proven themselves over and over again. I would never question the loyalty of a Donnie Simpson or a Catherine Simpson or a Joe Brazano or a Stella Brazano or the others. Never will you hear me question their loyalty. In fact, what you don't know is during the years that I have been here, I've even felt, you know, draw up a sermon or two, and I'd sit down and write a sermon, and you know, I've never once preached on loyalty the whole time I've been here in 28 years. I've taken those messages and preached them elsewhere, but never here, because we've never had internal strife in this church. There's been no need. We have pastors at service in a day and age when many churches don't do hospital visitation. Ours are there every day. When people go through the trauma of the loss of a loved one, our church is there. As you heard Pastor Donnie say regarding Jim Bournes and others, we serve this community and this family, and I thank God, and they can preach. Do you hear what I'm saying? Amen. They can preach. And yes, any one of them could have gone off and started a church somewhere, but they haven't. They were called to partner, and they have embraced this vision with us and served with distinction. Number three, this is a church that is built on the Word. Every congregation likes to say that, but let me tell you, not everybody that says it really practices it. In a day and age when so many Christians take a consumer approach to the Bible and go pick what they like and leave the rest of it on the shelf, I'm happy that this church embraces the Word of God and says, preach on Sunday morning, Pastor. Tell us what the Bible had to say. And when so many pulpits are conspicuously silent on vital issues, it is important that we realize just society may change, but this Word never changes it's forever settled in the heavens. Amen. Another strength is that we are a worshiping congregation. I thank God that this is a church that has been visited by the Lord. I thank God for James and Tracy and Robert and the worship team, the different teams we have. And on any given Sunday, all I've got to do is just turn to James and say, let's go vertical. I feel we need to go vertical. And boom, the presence of God will fall in this place. And it is everything I can do to then get up and preach because that would be as far as we got on many, many a Sunday. And you say, well, why don't you just let it go? Because when you're in that atmosphere, when you're on that mountain, that's where Moses got the Ten Commandments. And it's when you're in the presence of God that you can hear a word from God. And amen. Fifthly, we are a praying church, and I've got to hurry. Thanks to Bob and Diana Jones. I think they might be in this service. They usually attend and are here, they have established a well-organized, incredible prayer ministry. I don't care what hour of the day or night it is. It, it may be if you encounter a crisis and you need someone to call, there is a number you can call, and a prayer counselor will take your call, and people all over this city will tumble out of their beds because they have been contacted by the prayer ministry, and they will begin to pray for you. Years ago, y'all, re- y'all don't remember that old Bill, I'm dating myself, that Bill Murray movie, do y'all? Called Ghostbusters, who you gonna call? <laughs> Amen. I'll tell you who I'm gonna call in the midnight hour. If my back is against it and I am so absorbed in a crisis that I, I can't even, you ever been one of those times and you couldn't even hardly pray? And you need somebody to do your praying for you so you can kind of hitchhike on that? 
I thank God we're a praying congregation. We're also a giving congregation that serves our community and the world at large. We've helped raise up 19 churches in the greater Houston area. One of my sons in ministry was here in the 730 service, Mackenzie Carter. Pastors in Stafford, if you have loved ones there, send them to that church. And then again, um, around the world, you know, we've impacted the world. We have thousands that look to us for leadership Help start thousands of churches. You heard from one of my sons, Benny Matthews, who has over 7,000 churches that they've now launched just in India. We have graduated 2,850 students from just one of our Bible colleges. Are you boasting, Pastor? No, I'm going to talk to you about our weaknesses next. Not boasting, I'm just telling you these are strengths. We have maximized the use of our space in this facility. We've got a Friday night service, a Saturday night service, four on Sunday morning, Spanish speaking service on Sunday afternoon. We have exciting children's ministries and 11 children's churches and a Wanna's program that's doing incredible thanks to Finney and, and, and Sindhu uh, Chaco and a powerful young adult ministry, a youth service that is impacting our youth. The ministries here are thriving and flourishing. And we need space. It's not a matter of, we, well, we're just sick of the decor here. We'd like a little change of venue. No, no, no. If we didn't like the decor, we'd change the decor. We just need some space. Amen. Another strength is our assets. We felt led some years ago to purchase right at 64 prime acres where there wasn't a thing around it at the time. And now all of a sudden, that area has exploded in growth, the fastest growing area of our city, only seven mile minutes from right here. Amen. And now they're building up everywhere, all around us. And that little old property we bought has become extremely valuable and important. And we, you have given, do you know, we paid that off. We don't owe a penny to anybody anywhere. We are debt free. To God be the glory. Can somebody say hallelujah? Amen. You have given sacrificially. And all we needed to do with what you've already given to be able to launch the building program itself is sell one of those commercial corners. And we needed to sell and ask you to pray. And do you know what? When you started praying, we started getting offers and we have a signed contract. Amen. In fact, Pastor Tony, our men's pastor who's headed up this project, will be talking to you a couple of Sundays from today to give you uh, an update on some things that are happening. And we're going to build a new worship facility. we got 120 days to do a, a, an environmental survey, and then we get our moolah, dinero, shekels, coins, do, re, me. You know what I'm talking about? We get that, and we're going to launch the building. You need, still need to give. I mean, we've got to pay for it too, but, I mean, we're getting ready to launch. We have other strengths as well. We are a culturally diverse congregation that can minister to every aspect of our community. It is a tragedy, and it wasn't always this way here. I, I should point out that no church is meant to be an island of culture in the middle of diversity. And people often work together of different cultures. They go to school together, shop together, go to the same mall, do sports together. And then when they come to church, uh-uh, don't want to be seen with anybody but my own family or my own kind. I won't tell you we're all the same kind. We're called humanity. If you, Can I hear somebody in the building say amen? And then number 10, and most importantly, we have God working on our behalf. And if God is for you, who can be against you? Amen. 
Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. And unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. We have incredible strengths, and those are a few, but we also have weaknesses too. And let's look at some of those. Because we have maximized our space, many of us have taken a lackadaisical attitude toward faithfulness in church attendance. Oh, you didn't think I'd say that, did you? With all these services going on, some of us have gotten so sensitive that if it rains, we're afraid it's gonna me- we're going to melt. And we look outside, oh, it's raining, can't go to church today, don't want my kids to get sick. That new baby, my wife, I mean, you know. And yet on Monday morning, they're all getting up, going to school with it still raining cats and dogs. And not only that, the malls are still full, hello somebody, and you're getting out on that same freeway you wanted nothing to do with Sunday morning. On Monday, you're there bumper to bumper. Oh, come on, I want to talk to you. We need to be committed to the house of God. David said, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. I actually had a video I wanted to show you, but time is not going to permit. Jade Simmons Simmons sent it to me. She had gotten it from her dad. And it shows people in Iran that are being beaten and in other parts of the world. I'm talking about blood pouring down. It was produced by the voice of the mortars. And I personally know some of those people have traveled with them in India. They have to travel under aliases. They can't even use their own names because they're targeted by people who hate the gospel and they help support persecuted Christians around the world. And they video these testimonies and, and people being beaten and, 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 I mean, going through suffering. And then you switch from the video of that to a church service that is jammed with believers who have had to go through hell to be able to get to the house of God. And they're there worshiping and dancing. And I can't help but think, I don't want to have to stand beside that person right there at the judgment seat of Christ. Not when I held my hand out to see if it was raining before I decided if I went to church on Sunday morning. Preach, pastor, if nobody else is going to say amen, I can say amen myself. And New Year's is a day to make a fresh commitment. We've also developed the idea that when we go to worship, that we've completed our service to God. We haven't. Whenever Moses ordained Aaron Do you know what Aaron did? First thing he did was turn his back on the congregation, walk into the tabernacle where he spent seven days, and on the eighth day, which means new beginnings, walked out to minister to people. He first ministered to God. That's what worship is. You have nothing to give anybody until you've been in the presence of God. Hello, somebody. But after you get done in the presence of God, you know what God told Moses? Moses, get down from the mount. There's some people down there who need you. And I want to say that this congregation needs to learn, all of us do, to find a place of ministry, of giving, of service. Don't you just be like the Dead Sea that takes it all in and never gives anything back. Another weakness is that it's easy to come here and not even know anybody. Because of all of our services and going from one to another, you can be here and not be connected. Nobody knows if you showed up and not have any real connections. I've challenged our staff to really work on that this year because we're a family and we want to be there for you. We want to know who you are and help you and put our arm around your shoulder, amen, and assist you along the way. 
And fourthly, another weakness is unfortunately some of us are also willing to let others carry the load financially for everything that is being done. Do you know the average Christian now only gives 2.5% of their income to the church roughly while during the Great Depression? Y'all remember that? Hearing about that? No, none of you old enough to have lived through it. But the Great Depression when people were struggling and living in tenements and camps and tents and, and just wherever they could find a place to put their head, do you know that they, the, the, the Christians gave 3.3% of their income during the Great Depression? And now in one of the most explosive times of economic growth in the history of the world, we're giving less than 2.5%. In Africa, they have a term. They say, come on, style up. That means get up to speed with what the program is requiring. And I would suggest to all of us that we learn to do that. And here's why. Because your blessing is directly connected. Your breakout, not your breakthrough, but even that too. But breaking out as a permanent condition is directly related to, among other things, your commitment to give. And a holy hush descended I am, thank you. I'm not intimidated by silence. That just is, that's what you need to talk about right there. I just made a little check mark, mental check mark in my mind that I will get back on this subject a few Sundays from now. Number five, another failure and weakness is our failure to witness. You take the letters G-O out of gospel, it leaves nothing but letters of confusion. The problem with the church is not engine trouble, it's transmission trouble. We don't go preach anymore. Now you say, but pastor, I'm not a preacher, I beg to differ with you. You're sent to your congregation. This may be mine. This may be my pulpit. Yours might be a desk in your office or the backyard of your fence or the water cooler on the job. But every one of us are called to be witnesses for Christ. We can't serve God and experience the glories of what he's done in our lives and and not tell somebody. I got to tell somebody. I got to tell somebody. Amen. The O in SWAT stands for opportunities, and we have incredible opportunities that are waiting for us. When we move into our new building, we're going to explode. We're maxed out. I realize that. The psychology of a building is 85% and then it roller coasters. And I've known that for years, but it was just a matter of waiting for the right season. All those folk moving in out there, thousands of homes are coming in. Seven minutes from right here. Now, I might drive a little faster than you. It might take you eight minutes. I don't know, but it's not four. Amen. And I try to make sure I don't exceed the speed limit by so much that I get pulled over by one of our own members. Amen. That would be an embarrassment. And we have a number of them in, that are in law enforcement. And they're going to need McDonald's and Chick-fil-A's and gas stations and schools and shopping malls and cinemas. And they're going to need medical clinics. But that's not all they're going to need. They're going to need a spirit-filled congregation that can help their children and help their families be all they are called to be for God. And we're going to be right there. 
We are also facing incredible opportunities overseas. The works there are exploding. Thousands and thousands coming to God directly because of your sacrifice here and the ministers we've trained. Years ago, we adopted approach that we were not going to send any great missionaries from here anymore. We were going to go raise up and train frontline leaders. They talk the language, eat the food, know the culture, can sleep where everybody else is and can live on practically nothing. And do you know it has made an unbelievable impact on missions overseas. And I come to a close by talking about threats. Our strengths, our weaknesses, our opportunities, and our threats. And these are only some of them. One serious threat we face at CT is that we could fail to adequately pass on our values, our faith, and our commitment to our children, our own children. One of the great problems of the church is the inability to transfer anointings from one generation to another. Schools and universities are now openly ridiculing people of faith. Your kids come here every Sunday and then go to university and get knocked around and abused right there in the classroom many, many times. They do. I'm telling you what's happening. And people are told that science and the Bible are not in agreement. That's not so. You look at some of the arguments they propose and they're so ridiculous it's not even funny. True science complements an understanding that is accurate of Scripture our problem is we have to teach our children and our families, and we endeavor to do that. But here's the difference. You know your schools have your kids eight hours a week, five days a week, or eight hours a day, five days a week. You know how long we get them? One hour. You prepare your kids for what they're going to face in life in terms of math and science and, and, and English and so forth, and it takes a whole week to do it nine months out of the year. And yet, we think we have dis fulfilled and discharged our obligation to our kids by bringing them to church once on Sunday. Forgive me if I, uh, I pick this old theme up again. That is, if it's not raining. <laughs> you understand what I mean? You see, there's teaching and then there's teaching. As one wise old custodian in a high school demonstrated when there was a problem with the young teenage girls who had just started wearing makeup, they were kissing the mirror to block their lips of the excess lipstick they put on during recess. And no matter how many times the teachers and the principals would make announcements that this should not be done, it continued unabated and it was unsightly. And so finally the school custodian said, let me get the point across to the principal. And so they would have the young ladies come in to the girls' restroom and the wise old janitor politely asked the girls to not use the mirror anymore to block their lipstick. And they ignored him and kept on smacking their gum and doing their girly thing and giggling. And, and then he said, let me show you how hard it is to clean those marks off the mirror. And they were completely bored and watched him as he took out his squeegee and walked over to the stall and opened the toilet and dipped it down in the water. And then came back and started. You see, there's teaching and there's teaching. They never had a problem ever again with girls blotting their lipstick. We must teach our children in a way that impacts their lives. 
not just tell them for the sake of feeling like we did our job. We want to change their lives. We want to help them avoid some of the problems we have faced as their parents in earlier in life. And at the same time, know for out the entirety or throughout the entirety of their lives the favor and blessings we have found since we came to God. We want to teach them to give. You need to read the Bible in your home this year with your kids. Every day, you need to pray for them before they go to school. Don't you just give perfunctorily. If you give online, get your kids around you and fill all that out and say, now then together, let's punch the sin button. And you help teach them the value of giving. Teach them the value of serving God. Teach them the value of prayer. Prayer is not something you do only on Sunday morning in the house of God. Amen. Amen. Another threat that we face is the increasingly hostile attitude that every church in America is presently facing. This is a generation, a time when it's open war on Christians. We, listen carefully, should be careful to steward our vote wisely. Don't you stay home from the polls. And on the second note to that same song, let me say, don't just vote your political line either. Vote your godly values. Amen. That's what matters. Number three, another threat churches face and continue to face is the overall attitude that in America we shouldn't shake the boat because we're already being looked down upon and we need the respect and acceptance and self-esteem of the world. i got news for you. The world's always hated the church and always will. I need a better amen than that. If you're looking for affirmation from the world, you're going to wait a long time to get it. Don't forget they crucified our Lord and Savior. Why not just stand up and be a believer and live the life regardless of the Richard Dawkins or the Sam Harrises or the Lawrence Krauses that are out there? Stand for God. Who cares what Bill Meyer thinks about things anyway? Am I talking to anybody right now? If he hasn't got enough sense to find God, how's he going to tell me how to live my life? I want to live my life as a tree planted by the rivers of water. That honors God. And finally, number four, another threat that has become common these days is for churches to want to succeed numerically so badly that they are willing to sacrifice the essentials of the message and any cost associated with being a disciple just to gain a few members. I want to tell you something. The position we have always taken here is that there's a difference in a crowd and a church. Amen. Listen, there's a crowd at the ball game, but that's not a church. And we have a crowd that comes here on Sundays, but I would rather the crowd that comes here be a church, if you know what I'm talking about, not just show up for the latest flavor of the month. We can compromise all kind of stuff. Churches right here in this city have issued memos, and I'm not going to call names, but they've said don't mention the blood. They've told their staff don't use the word repent, don't use the word sin, don't use the word the devil. Amen. Jesus wouldn't even be allowed in the pulpits of some churches that you've heard about right here. Forget the pulpit. I'm not sure he'd be allowed in the front door. 
Amen. Amen. A watered-down gospel is a threat to genuine Christianity. And I need us to understand that. Hello. This gospel will change your life. This gospel will elevate you. It will transform you. It will pick you up. It will turn your life around. Jesus is what it's really all about. In closing, for us to make the most of this new year, we need to do several things. To accomplish what God would like for us to do, we need to lead with our strengths, work on and improve our weaknesses, recognize and seize our opportunities, and overcome our threats. I've always done this every year with my family. I've done it with my personal ministry. I've done it with this church. You just didn't know about it. And today I felt like just kind of laying it out on the table and showing you where we are. Why don't you go home and look at your own walk with God? What are your strengths, your weaknesses? What are your opportunities? What are your threats? The business that you started, what are your strengths, your weaknesses, the opportunities, the threats? You'd be amazed at how you can prepare yourself to take advantage of what God is going to do in this new year.